It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels with you, getting you ready for Giants and Eagles at MetLife Stadium on Sunday at 1 o'clock. The number is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We do our full preview of the Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael Strahan's number also getting retired at halftime, so if you're at the game, make sure you stay in your seat at halftime and... Enjoy the ceremony. We'll also be uh, streaming that ceremony on all of our uh, media platforms and live streaming services and everything else that we do. And by the way, guys, if you want to go to the game, we do have limited tickets available. So join us for Michael Strahan's Jersey Retirement this Sunday at halftime when the Giants take on the Eagles at MetLife Stadium at 1 o'clock. Limited tickets are available. Go to Giants.com slash 92, just the number 92. Guys, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. It's good to be back on with you guys today. Mm -hmm. How are you? Good. Absolutely. Doing well. Good Looking forward to hangover. football on Sunday. Yes. Well, more football. We had some football yesterday. Um, and it's funny, and I don't want to get off off topic here, but I was, you know, just the, the only, you know, the most, I think, interesting game yesterday was that uh, Cowboys-Raiders game. And I just felt like I was watching the Giants, watching Dallas figure out ways to lose that game with, mm -hmm. with penalties, having injuries at wide receiver, or not having the weapons they usually have. And it just shows you, it doesn't matter how good of a team you have, if you don't play well and do the right things, it, it really is not going to matter too much. I thought the same thing. And by the way, I thought the same thing for the first game. I'm watching the Bears in Detroit play, and I was saying to my kids, I said, listen, now this is the last two minutes of the game. This is when bad teams find ways to lose. <laughs> now, in fairness, neither yeah. the Bears nor the Lions uh, are very good. <laughs> I, I know that, but I'm well, just but the saying. the Lions are worse, though. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. So. And then, of course, you know, you're watching the Dallas game, you're exactly right. So, yeah, I agree with you, John, there. But the first game, to me, was more of indicative to how teams really that are not good still continue to lose football games. And, well, that poor Detroit team. I mean, it's just the, the record doesn't even look right on TV when it says 0-10-1. It's just, it's just crazy. Unfortunately, yeah, the Lions, Lions had 10 penalties, Jeff, six holding calls. There and then go. they were called for a delay of game penalty because they called consecutive timeouts at the tail end of the game <laughs> to allow the Bears to further I mean, run out the clock. You don't so, make that yeah, stuff up. Of that's just not. like, yeah. come on. That's how you lose a game. Yeah. Correct. 100%. Yep. And Dallas yep. was guilty of 14 penalties. There were 28 penalties in that game. And they had four defensive pass interference calls against <laughs> on Anthony guy. Brown. Yeah. 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 Who actually was having a really good year until. Uh, that particular game. Anyway, let's get to Giants and Eagles coming up on Sunday, guys. And let's start with the Eagles on the offensive side of the ball first. And really, this reminds me, Jeff, of when you start to try to prepare for Washington when they had Robert Griffin III. Mm -hmm. It just mm -hmm. feels like that to me. You have a quarterback that can do it on the ground. He has a capability. Maybe he's not the most consistent, accurate thrower, but he can still make some big plays, has the arm strength to make all the throws. But their running game is just so good right now. And it's because the read option situation, Jalen Hurts is a scrambler. He has 600-plus yards rushing. More than 300 have come scrambling on pass plays. But that means 300 have come on design runs. You know, Miles Sanders doesn't like Jordan Howard's going to go. Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, will probably be active this week, the rookie. So this is all about stopping the run for the Giants. And the Eagles have really transformed themselves this year. The last, you know, they went through a four-game stretch where they averaged 90 rushing yards per game. Their last four games, they're over 200 
rushing yards per game. Right now, they're the best running team in the league. It's the quarterback, the running game, uh, the running backs, and the offensive line, which is one of the best, most consistent pass protection, run blocking group in the league. So for me, and this is a Giants group, to be quite frankly, guys, they have not stopped the run well this year. And I realize the overall numbers the last few weeks are better, but look at their opponents. Do the Chiefs really want to run the football? Do the Raiders really want to run the football? Do the Bucks really want to run the football? No, they're running their offense through their quarterback. So this, to me, is a whole other challenge for this defense, much different than the challenges they faced the last three weeks. Yeah, and you, if you look at the, the Eagles, too, I mean, they went up against the Saints, who were the number one rushing defense, and put up 242 yards. So yeah, It's crazy. I, I think that... Um, talk about, you know, run what you brung. I And, and you look at the last, um, you know, three or four games, this team has all of a sudden said, okay, wow, we're having some production um, behind this unbelievable line. Line is, The offensive line is just incredible. Um, they're not going to change that, John. They're going to make you stop it um, because Jalen Hurts cannot throw the football very well, and when he does, he holds on to it forever. Um, He's the longest average time to throw in the whole league. It's exactly. like 3.27 seconds, yeah. I think. I mean, if yeah. nobody can get to, to him with that type of statistic, I don't know who can't. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. So, um, But they don't give up a lot of sacks, which is amazing because they don't have to They don't have to pass the ball all that often. Well, so, and also, Jeff, he's just – even when you get pressure, he's so mobile he, he can moves. avoid the rush, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, their big plays all come from their running game. So, you know, I'm looking at some of these statistics and – the 20-yard plays and even 10-yard plays, this this rushing offense, they have 52 of over 10 yards and 13 of over 20. So that's number one and number two um, collectively there. So the Giants, obviously, they have to game plan to stop the run, period. That's what it's going to be because I'm not going to worry about Jalen Hurts throwing the football. Um, I guess Devontae Smith, I would worry about him a little bit, but, you know, uh, the other guys don't really, you know, they don't impress me all that much. So, yeah, John, I think you're spot on. This is uh, This is game plan for... Uh, the read option, and if you have to be disciplined on the outside to keep him in the pocket, and those linebackers are going to have to tackle well. It's very similar to the Baltimore game late last season because Lamar and the running backs really wreaked a lot of havoc against the Giants. They ran for 249 yards, and the Giants just were not well-disciplined in terms of their gap assignments. I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts is Lamar Jackson, but the structure and the skill set of the players is very similar. Sure. And that's why this game scares me for the Giants, because I just don't think it was a great matchup against Baltimore. I agree. And I don't know how great of a matchup it is against Philadelphia, because, see, Philadelphia is the type of team, you know they're going to run. They're telling you they're going to run. It's up to you to actually slow them down and stop them. If you go back to that Saints game... There was a possession where Jordan Howard, they just consistently handed him the football. He was getting eight-yard runs, seven-yard runs, nine-yard runs, and the Saints knew it was coming, and they still couldn't do anything about it because this offensive line is healthy now, and they've been playing with the similar group of five since Mm -hmm. Lane Johnson came back because they had injuries early in the season. Guys, remember, they lost Isaac Sayamalu, and they lost Brandon Brooks right out of the gates. So they were sort of doing the piecemeal thing they were doing all of late last season, Now it's stabilized. So once it's stabilized, Nick Sirianni said, hey, we're going to run the football now. And Jalen Hurts is going to be the centerpiece of it. And it's worked extremely effectively. And once again, I just keep thinking back to that Baltimore game late last season. And you know the Giants struggled immensely. They better learn from that film if they want to be able to keep this Eagles offense in check. And if there is one game on the schedule, guys, where I'm sitting here and I'm saying the Giants are going to really miss Blake Martinez, this is the game. Yeah, sure. Because when you run that read option, that middle linebacker, 
along with the guy on the edge, they ought to be in sync, understanding assignments, reading what the play is, reading the blockers, figuring out who's getting the ball, and not having Blake Martinez in this game to me, that's, that's when you're going to feel it the most, in my opinion. And they put points on the board, which another that kind of scares you all in on itself, right? I mean, you look at the game. We're talking about the Tampa Bay game. Uh, they put a lot of points at home, over 40, right? And we're thinking, oh, my goodness, they're going to have to score some points, and they certainly didn't. Now you look at this offense who – you know, they put up a lot of points, and I think that you have to be concerned about that. They're they're very good in the red zone because they have so many weapons down there. Receiving, running, well, running Jeff, back, you can, quarterback. What's the key to the red zone, Jeff? Running, running the football. The football. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. Well, they're also great on third down too, Jeff, and why oh God, are they good they're on amazing. third down? Yeah. Because they have yeah. manageable third down since they run the ball effectively on first and second. Yep. I mean, when you They look are literally, at, by the way, Jeff, just real quickly yep, in the third yep. down, tops in the league on third and fourth and one, best conversion percentage is over 80%. And then on third and fewer than four yards, I believe they're third in the league, I think, over 70%. So once it gets to third and long, they struggle a little bit. But to Lance's point, the way they play, they don't have many of those. Mm -hmm. So on those third and shorts, they're just really, really good at converting. They just pound the football. And, um, you know, a lot like Tampa in the sense that they don't do it so much in their running game, but they do it in their short passing game. And, you know, what, you look at the first drive of Tampa Bay last week, they went down the field with no third downs. That tells you the production they're getting on first and second. So, you know, this is the team that's very similar to that, that they have great production on those first and second downs. And like you said, if they do struggle, um, you know, if you can get them in a third and long, then you got a, you got a chance. But most of the time they're not faced with those types of situations. It's also, to me, it's a bit of a shock to the Giants' defense, this matchup, because, I mean, guys, think about it. You go from Monday night playing a quarterback that has no mobility. I know he ran for 10 yards, but let's face it. I mean, Tom is going to get rid of the ball quickly. He's going to stay in the pocket. And now you go to the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Now you have a quarterback that loves to move, loves to scramble, loves to extend plays. So... It's really, once again, shock to the system is to me the best way I could describe it because it's such a short period of time that you're going from one quarterback to the complete opposite. And all I can be reminded of, once again, I keep going back to the Baltimore game. Eye discipline is so important because the Eagles and the Ravens, Lamar's going to hold on to that ball. He's going to read what the defense is going to do. And at the last second, he's going to decide, I'm either going to keep it or I'm going to hand it off to the running back. And the minute you move over to the right slightly, you leave a gap open on the left, and that's how all of a sudden the Eagles can run for 15 yards or something like that. So, you know, when John was talking about the absence of Blake Martinez, whoever is playing in the middle of that defense consistently, and specifically on the edges, you have to be well-disciplined with your eyes in a game like this because the minute you are all of a sudden caught off guard, it's over. And not to get off topic, but... If some of our listeners were watching the Cowboys game yesterday, guys, if you remember, they brought in Marcus Mariota in the red zone package. Every time they bring in Marcus Mariota, the Raiders, he's going to keep the ball. Yeah. The Cowboys fell for it, though. He faked the handoff. Even though they knew he was going to keep it, the defense went to the right. Mariota ran the opposite way. He walked in for a touchdown. Those are the types of things that the Eagles are going to wind up presenting. Yeah, and look, it's really the only quarterback the Giants have faced so far this year that scrambles to run, right? Patrick Holmes scrambles to pass. I guess Sam Darnold maybe to some extent, but he's not in the same category as Jalen Hurts. This is really the first time they're facing a quarterback like that. All right, guys, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball here. And the big thing with the Eagles that I look at is they play the defense the way the Giants are playing defense right now. Mm -hmm. They have a bend-but-don't-break philosophy. They've given up the third-fewest pass plays in the league. 
of 20 or more yards. Given the fact they haven't even had their bye yet, that makes that number even more significant because they've played one more game than a lot of teams in the league, yet they still have the third fewest pass plays of 20-plus yards. They do not blitz a lot. Uh, they will try to get there with their front four, which despite the fact they don't have Brandon Graham is still pretty good. Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat have done a great job on the edges. And then you get to, frankly, guys, the matchup that I'll be watching this entire game. The Giants' two guards and center, Hernandez, Price, and Scora against Javon Hargrave, who's been a monster this year, mm-hmm. and Fletcher Cox, <clears throat> someone that has tortured the Giants for the better part of a decade. So that, to me, is the key here. Can the Giants protect that inside pass rush from the Eagles and be patient and be able to sustain long drives down the field? Because the Eagles are not going to give up the chunk play. They're just not. They're going to make you do those long, patient drives. And know Giant fans, oh, Jason Garrett's out. I want to start chucking the ball down the field. This ain't the game for it, guys. Not the way the Eagles play defense. So that's the way I'm looking at this game from an offensive standpoint for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, you got to be careful with Darius Slay, who's really having a, you know, that's why they, the, the Eagles signed him last year because this is the type of player that you wanted out of that defense, and and you're getting it. And then you got Anthony Harris on the other side. These guys are they're 30 years old, but they're pretty they're very productive still. Um, the one thing that you know when you look at this Eagles defense, they're that rotational kind of the, you know Hardgrove and Cox. Those guys they rotate in Kerrigan, Jackson, Ridgeway. These guys they all kind of move around through there. They play um, so, eight defensive linemen every yeah, game, mm-hmm. and they're you know and and that's you know big guys. They can't last a long time, so they go out, they get a breath, and then they come back in. But they're all being, you know, the rotational players, they're all very good, you know. And so I think that's the, the, the bonus for the Eagles' defense is that they're able to keep those guys fresh throughout the game. And, you know, their run defense is pretty good. They're, they're not as good as their, you know, their pass rush. But I think the Giants are just going to have to succumb to the idea that they're just going to stick with what you said, John. You know, they play that, you know, that – two, four, six, whatever it is, the shells, coverage, the, all this stuff, that's all you're going to get. And then they uh, they toughen up a little bit in the in the uh, red zone too. So um, they're not they're not that great in the red zone, so the Giants should have an opportunity to put some points on the board if they can. But, you know, to me, offensively for the Giants, um, I think what we're going to see with this new, whoever the offensive coordinator and who's going to be calling passes, um, just from what I'm taking from this, guys, is that, the ball is going to get in some of the playmakers' hands more often. I think that's kind of what's going to come out of this. I don't know who's going to call it, but that's what I'm looking for. Well, we'll see also whether or not Kadarius Tony's going to be able to play because he's backed up again, right? coming so, out of the last game. Yeah, so, and, Lance, and, and Lance, by yeah. the way, let me just add something real quick, just real fast, because this has been sticking in my craw. People <laughs> complaining, oh, how does Kenny Galladay only get two targets? Do you know why Kenny Galladay only got two targets? Because Kadarius Tony and Saquon Barkley had 18 combined targets between them. Yeah, Tony had 12. I know. The, yeah. what, so so Tony and Galladay, I mean, Tony and Barkley aren't two of your best playmakers. So they were getting the ball to playmakers. They just were giving it to two of the guys. And when you have three or four receivers that you want to get the ball to, there's going to be an odd man out in every game. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, go ahead, Lance. Well, on top of that also, it's not as if they were finishing drives consistently too. You know, volume of plays is also going to dictate targets. If you go three and out, if you go six plays and then you turn it over on downs, you know, how many opportunities do you have to spread the wealth too? I mean, all of that is related. <laughs> well, just look at that to, drive chart that you and I looked yeah. at on Monday night. <laughs> 100%. I mean, look at the drives after the Andrew Thomas touchdown. And oh, by the way, the Andrew Thomas touchdown came after an interception, put you at the five. I know we're not revisiting Monday's game, but all of that stuff well, makes a difference. Certainly right. adds no, look, look, the, yeah. the, the Giants ran 20-something plays in the first half of that of game. I mean, yeah. and, and three of them were on that final drive where they weren't really going to have a chance to score anyway. So, yeah, 
You're right. 100%. Now, as far as the Eagles' defensive matchup, I just wanted to piggyback off of a few points that Jeff brought up. With respect to their front, and you had hit on this too, John. See, here's where Philadelphia is a little bit similar to Tampa Bay, and the Bucks' defensive front guys really dictated the tone. They had nine quarterback hits, and they had two sacks, but it was the interior guys, the Steve McClendons, the Raheem Nunez, Rochezes. You know, even though they didn't have Via Vea and Dominican Sue, they were still able to get some pressure in the middle. That's where Philadelphia's strength is. So you've got a short week now to clean up what did not work effectively against Tampa Bay. You're not getting all of a sudden a week off. You're getting (laughs) just as strong of an interior defensive line that you're going to have to solve. And if you don't handle your business inside, that's when the Derek Barnett's and the Josh Sweats are going to be able to tee off. So the interior of the line, completely with you. I think that's a huge storyline. As far as the back end of the secondary, believe it or not, the Eagles have been pretty opportunistic to make up for maybe not being that defense that can force three and outs and so forth. Darius Slay actually has three touchdowns in the span of the last four games. It's incredible what he's been able to do. And also, what's also amazing to me, guys, is we talked last week about the Tom Brady splits between home and road. The Eagles splits between home and road, my goodness, they're four and two on the road. They're giving up under 20 points on the road. They're plus 53 in point differential, and their sack differential is plus 8. It's minus 10 at home, minus 16 point differential, and they're giving up nearly 30 points a game at home. That's they're, unreal. They're and by fans. the way, it's they're so strange. And by the way, this, <laughs> is, yeah, Jeff. <laughs> this is around the league now. Did you know since the start of 2019, home teams are under 500? That's crazy. There's no – you can't put a – I mean, how does that happen? No, it's, it's just it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, yeah that is Well, the crazy. whole season's weird so far, yeah. yeah well, I think that, that goes back to 2019. And There's I'm wondering two like – Two and a half I, years of that in there. And I'm just wondering because of no nobody in the stands a few years ago, I mean, that might have kind of helped that statistic maybe. I don't know. Well, no, sure, maybe, but it's still <laughs> – 2019 had fans, and so does this year have fans. Well, not as many. What was the 2000 and was it? What was the season? There was nobody in this. No, that was 2020. Well, that was last year. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, last year. So, well, I'm talking I mean, 2019 though. Yeah, this since, is going yeah. back to 2019. Yeah, it's 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 really because you know the old thing with the home field advantage that was that was real and it doesn't seem to be that way, especially for the Eagles as Lance had mentioned. But um, yeah, I mean it's he's <laughs> and by the way the Giants coming in they're they're two and twelve since 2014 <laughs> against the Giants. I mean against the uh, the Eagles. I mean, something's got to change here, boys. Let's go. All right, let's get to the calls. 201-939-4513. The Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated or are at a greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or, vi- or talk to your local health care provider. All right, let's go to the phones. 201-939-4513. Antonio in Delaware will lead us off today. Antonio, what's up, man? Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good, good. man. Doing all right. Uh, two points I would like to make. First one, um, this game Sunday against the Eagles, this has reached a playoff-type level. After Thursday's loss uh, for the Cowboys, the Eagles are looking at this game as a playoff game. So the Giants have to come out and match the intensity that the Eagles are going to put out. Well, Antonio, I, I agree with you, but I don't think it has anything to do with the Cowboys losing because they, you know, they're still fighting for a wild card spot. So, well, they could gain at least one game on the Cowboys. No, I understand, and, and but whether the Cowboys won or lost, they're still trying to fight for a playoff spot. 
true. That's true. So if not, it's going to be a very long day for the Giants. So um, my second point is this, and this is coming from me personally. I think the Giants have lost their identity as a organization from the top all the way down. They're trying to they're trying to get back to who they were as a organization in terms of having a stout offensive line and having a stout defensive line. And it's been a struggle for the past couple of years from not drafting offensive linemen in the first round or defensive linemen in the first round and drafting tight ends and wide receivers and running backs that you could pick up in the second or third round. And right now, it's been a struggle for the whole organization. So something has to come for next year's draft. Um, from my opinion, for the offensive line, I think they need to draft a right tackle and also they need to draft a left guard or swing center. I, I don't want to get heavy into draft here, Antonio. I understand that. But I'm just saying, from you know, after this Sunday's game, who knows? Hey, look, Antonio, everyone right knows the team has to get better on the offensive line and they have to get better rushing the passer. If there are two things to focus on in the offseason, those are the two things. We totally agree with you. Right. So, for this game, the Giants have to come out from the get-go and match the Eagles in If not, even though you're going to hear it from the fans all season long, because this game has been on the calendar for, for Giants fans, especially for what happened last season. So this is a must-win game. I don't want to say must-win, but this is a game that Giants must come out and dominate and make a point. Thank you, Antonio. Uh, that's all I have to say, guys. Appreciate Thanks. it, man. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Thank okay. you for the call. Look, and I, do, I hate saying, well, you know, because the fans really care and it's an important game. You know, guys just don't consciously go out and play harder. That's you know, Guys go out and play hard every no. week, no. Um, as Jeff, a former player, can attest to. But, look, I, I do think the Eagles here, pun intended, I suppose, are flying high right now. They're playing their best football of the year. Right now, based on their schedule, the next six weeks or so, you look at it, they're playing Washington twice, the Jets, Giants a couple times. They're probably feeling really good about their chances of making the playoffs, so they're, they're probably flying a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to take the word intensity and I'm going to take the words, you know, that I'm going to throw it, throw it out and I'm going to say, just got to play a, a, a more efficient, better executed brand of football. They did not play well on Monday night mm-hmm. against Tampa Bay. You just have to play better. Well, I think the Eagles, they can hang their hat on something. And that's the running game. You know, I look at the Giants offense. I don't know where I can hang my hat on anything. And defensively, it's you know, you're losing – uh, I think that the loss of Ryan Logan last week was uh, huge for this defense, just like Blake Martinez. But, you know, if you're as a team, you can't you can't make that excuse. So you've got to come back and try to do something. And um, on both sides of the football, or even in all three phases, John, you know, you look at the Eagles and they, they've got a, you know, a very serviceable defense, okay, um, with some good players. And they, they have that interior defensive line and they play well there. But their offense is running the football, second best in the National Football League. And that's, I mean, there's a big hook on the wall to hang your hat on that because that can, you can get a lot done when you can effectively run the football at any level. That's for sure. So I agree. There's just, you got to play better football somewhere. 
and that's what the Giants just haven't been able to do. Well, and you also can't dig yourself in an early hole like they did, too, against Tampa Bay. I know they came back and they tied that game at 10, but then the Bucks reclaimed the lead, and you start the third quarter, you turn it over on downs, Tampa Bay scores a touchdown, and, I mean, pretty much the game is over at that point. Because Philadelphia, if Philadelphia gets the lead in this game, you are playing right into their hands. Oh, that's They're going to continue to big run trouble. the football. Mm-hmm. So that's why in a game like this, yes, of course we could throw out all the cliches. They have to match the intensity and this and that. But the bottom line is you can't give Philadelphia a cushion because the minute you give Philadelphia a cushion, they then can execute the exact game plan that they're coming in wanting to do. In order to get the Eagles out of their comfort zone, you have to make Jalen Hurts throw the ball. Mm-hmm. This is a game, guys, if the Giants want to dictate the tone, if they really want to put themselves in a position to win this game, this is a game where you want to see Jalen Hurts throw the ball about 35 times. That's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. If Jalen is able to run 15 times with the complimentary running backs and they get into that 35 to 40 run barometer and Jalen only has to attempt maybe 20 passes, that to me is their bread and butter. So to me, the number one priority is put the Eagles in a position where they're playing for behind, make Jalen throw the football. Not a lot of teams have been able to do that over the recent weeks. Now, let me throw this out there, too, when, when you talk about that, Lance, and this is a special teams question, I guess, for Jeff, too. If the Giants win the coin toss in this game, should they receive instead of defer? Hmm. I know that. I, I mean, last week I, was, I, was, I would have taken the football. Um, and, by the way, they won the coin toss in Kansas City, too. I would have thought about taking yep. the football there also. Yeah. I, you know, I don't – this, for me, at least, Lance, I, I don't see the giant – excuse me, the Eagles as being this juggernaut of an offense, you know, like those other – those two that you just said. However, I mean, they control they, – they play control football. They're going to take the ball down the field and sure. score most likely, and then you're going to get the ball with maybe – I don't know, I'm just saying maybe, I don't know, seven minutes left, six minutes left in the game, in the first quarter, excuse me. I'm taking the football. I'm going to dictate on my term to go down and, and try to play with a lead rather than play from behind again. That's me. Yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. I think right now you can't overthink things. And in against Tampa Bay, they had the double-dip opportunity, guys. And what happened with the double-dip opportunity? They wound up turning the ball over twice because you had a turnover and then you had a turnover on down. So, hey, it's great if you had possessions right before – the half and after the half, but similar to my philosophy on takeaways, it's all about what you do with it. I'm with Jeff. I think it's time where you get out there first, you set the tone, similar to what they did, guys, remember, against the Raiders. what they do against the Raiders, right? They got the ball first. They marched down the field. Daniel Jones connected with Evan Ingram. Yes, the Raiders then answered back with a touchdown drive of their own, but the Eagles, they're going to come out, they're going to run, they're going to look to wear out the Giants' defense. I think if you have an opportunity to get the ball first, I think you got to take advantage of that. Yeah. How about you, John? I look, I get it deferring. And if you look at the math and, yeah. you know, over the history, that, that's the way to go. But look, the Eagles don't have a super explosive offense, so I understand why you'd want to defer. But I do really think that game flow in this game, and this is the point Lance was making, is extremely important. You know, you want to be able to play this game the way you want to play it. And I think you do that by getting a lead. And God forbid, you know, you defer, they get the ball, they score a touchdown, you punt, and then they, they score again, and you're down 10 nothing or 14 nothing. start of the second quarter, that's a bad place to be with the way the Eagles want to play. And a bad place to be with the way your offensive line is playing if you're the Giants. Because, guys, we've seen this again and again, and I'll get back to the calls, I promise. We've seen, in every single one of these games, 
You get to the third or fourth quarter specifically, specifically the fourth the last two weeks. The minute the Giants go into situations where teams don't respect their run game anymore because they're down by too many points, Daniel Jones gets sacked like every other play. Like I'm not even being like overwrought here. Mm-hmm. He literally gets sacked like every other play. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster. So game flow is just so important, so important, I think, for the Giants to win this game. I think the other question connected to this is, are the Giants built to rally? I mean, think about that. You know, I understand they came back against the Saints. I get that. But let's face it, guys. That was a very rare occurrence. So it's more of a reason why it's so important for the Giants to get off to a strong start and play with somewhat of a lead. Because when they get into these big double-digit deficits, the chances dissipate for them to come back, mainly because of, John, what you pointed out. Teams are going to start teeing off. They're going to get ultra-aggressive. They're going to try to beat up that Giants offensive line. Daniel Jones is going to get pressured. He's going to have the philosophy, i got to try to do something, put on the cape. That leads to turnovers. Yep. We, we've seen this story Turnovies. before. <laughs> so, you know, I think it goes to just the makeup of this team right now. They're not built to say, hey, we could get down by 14 points, and don't worry, we'll regroup in the second half. It's just it's not working like that this season. Yeah, and look, I want to go back to something else to call our ass, too, about the team losing their identity. Here's the thing, too, like not for nothing, I get it. Giant fans like, oh, the Giants' identity has always been run the football, play defense. You know, you don't have to keep the same identity as a franchise for 40 years either. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't have to play the way, the way the Giants played in the 80s if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Thank God Paul Zatino out here be, th- like, throwing stuff No, you do. Him. You got to play it that <laughs> way, John. <laughs> because, look, all I'm saying is that if, you know, if you want to be a passing team and score a lot of points, that's okay, too. Now, here's the thing. You still need a really good offensive line to do that. So... I would argue that being good up front is very important regardless of how you play, and if that's what the caller meant, I agree with him. I think that's fair, but I don't know. Just saying, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Scott in New Mexico is up next. Scott, what's going on, man? Good afternoon, guys. How are you doing today? Well, Scott, what's up? Uh, I think all your points are relevant. There's no easy solutions to winning football games, but I want to talk about a specific player that, hopefully can make a difference. But he hasn't exhibited that throughout the entire season uh, because of injury and so forth, and also because I think he's running tentatively, and that's uh, Saquon Barkley. I watched a couple of plays. I don't know if you watched them. On the touchdown that uh, they scored on the tackle-eligible play, if you looked at the right-hand screen, that play almost didn't happen because Saquon Barkley was supposed to block somebody. And he got pancaked. And had Daniel Jones not gotten the ball off, that play never would have happened in the first place. And he just doesn't seem – he did it on another play, the pass to Tony, where he got pancaked again, literally could not stop uh, the oncoming rusher. But as a runner, he's world class. I know he has an injury. But at what point do you, do you say he's a liability – in the sense that he can't do all the things he wants to do because he's tentative because of the injuries that have happened this year? Or can he rise above that and say, okay, I'm the captain. I have to go out and I have to play the game of my life against Philadelphia because if I don't, this team's not going to beat Philadelphia. And I was trying to get your perspective of where you think Saquon is right now. And because he's such an integral cog in the offensive wheel in so many different areas to help out Daniel Jones, to relieve the receivers, 
does he have a fitting role, or do you need to now think about starting Devontae Booker and just wait till Saquon Barkley heals if he does? Because the liabilities, to me, are becoming more proficient as I see the game being played, and I hate for the Giants uh, to continue to play this way because Saquon's not up to his level, and they insist on getting him the ball because he's the number of, you know, he's the second overall pick that they had. So I want to get your perspective. It's the only question I have, and I'll be glad to take the answer off the air, guys. And have a good weekend. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Jeff, what do you think? Well, first of all, I, I, we've, we've never, ever been impressed with Saquon and his, and his blocking ability to on pass protection. He, that's, he's just not good at it. Okay, he never has been. I don't think he ever will be. So to say that I got to go out and have the game of my life, you know, that kind of thing. I, you know, the other thing is that the Giants aren't putting him on the field unless they, they feel like he can he can perform the way that they want them to. And as far as coming back from injury, so I don't want to use that he's not 100 percent healthy because we have to believe that he is. So yeah. I believe that you know, number one, every one of these guys have to play better, and number two, I feel like you know he just has to go out there and. I think he needs to change some things in the way he runs the football. I mean, I, I don't know how many times we see this, guys, that there's a one-yard, a two-yard, a three-yard, but we have not seen the big play again, you know? So, um, and is that around play design? Is it because of his offensive line? There's a lot of factors that go into it, John. So, now I he, just think, he yeah. did say after the game, Jeff, that, like, he needs his feet to start to, I think the phrase he used, Lance, his feet need Match to catch up. Yeah, catch up to his head, I think, or match up, yeah, whatever it is. Something to that degree. Yeah, and and he had he said something similar early in the year coming back from the ACL. No, I think the hope is right that this getting things in rhythm here is going to take less time than it did coming off a serious knee injury. We'll have to right. wait and see. Okay, but well, I think there is really a a feel to the running back position that has to come back. And again, this isn't necessarily talking about the blocking. This is just him talking about him as a runner here. And I do think it does take some feel. Mm-hmm. For for that, for a running back to kind of get back to where he's supposed to be, and you hope it comes back this week, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, he hasn't been in game action for quite some time because yep. he hasn't played since week five. So, I mean, I buy the fact that you know sometimes you just got to get your legs back under him. But I would agree with Jeff in countering what the last caller Scott brought up. I don't really think the Giants are going into that last game saying, first of all, Saquon, to me, I think we're beyond the talk about the torn ACL, guys. I think enough time has gone by yes. that that's not something that I think is overwhelming for him. If you want to say, John, to the point of he's still getting his legs back under him because he missed action and he was sidelined because of the ankle injury, I buy that. But I didn't see Saquon limping. I didn't see him favoring his leg physically, on runs. Physically, yeah. he looks fine. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, once again, when we use, and maybe I'm just being a little bit too critical of the wording of the last caller, but I don't point out maybe his issues in execution because of injury. I would say, John, it's more of what you were pointing at. It's just maybe the rust factor, the fact that this was his first game action in quite some time. But I think we're beyond the time. He got hurt with the ankle injury in week five. We're entering week 12 now. We're talking about seven some odd weeks that have passed. I really don't think the injury is perhaps what's holding him back at this point. That's just my personal opinion. No, I, I think that's a fair point, Lance. 201-939-4513. John in New York is up next. Hey, John. Hey, guys. What's going on? What's up, Johnny? Hey, um, so my question is, how important do you think uh, these defenses is, and uh, more importantly, the cornerbacks on the defense? In terms of the Giants you're talking about? Yeah. Look. Like, uh... Like, how important is the matchup between uh, James Bradbury and Devontae Smith? You know, it's funny. I wonder if they're going to put 
Bradbury on Smith. There's Smith, and we've we've kind of talked about this guy. Smith is more of that like quicker and fast rather than big and physical guy. And sometimes they prefer Dory Jackson on those guys. So is there a chance we see Jackson on Smith, and they have Bradbury on the other side? Is that possible? Jeff, Jeff, I don't know if you want to weigh in first. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought Jeff was going to jump in first. Well, I it's funny because I got, lo- I got okay. lost in thought there for a second because I'm, I'm sitting there. Who are they going to put on the tight end? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think, you know, they have a good tight end too. So, and I don't, I mean, I, I look at the, you know, the matchups that we saw in the Tampa Bay game and the matchups we saw in the Kansas City game with who was covering Kelsey and the tight end guy. So, I mean, is you, I, I don't know. I think that I agree with you, John. I think that Adoree Jackson has that speed and that kind of like just a, a better matchup there. So I, I would agree with you there. That's what I would say. So, you know, I think a lot also depends on, and I guess right now, given the fact that Logan Ryan is still on the COVID reserve list, I would say probably the chances are slim. That's just me connecting the dots. But if he's not there and you don't have him to, let's say, defend a Dallas Goddard, because I think, Jeff, that's who you were referring to, mm-hmm. you know, how does that perhaps change the Giants' game plan? Now, they went up against Gronk this past week, and Gronk certainly was able to get down the middle of the field. There was certainly circumstances where I thought the Giants' defense was in position, and then they gave him somewhat of a free release. But I don't think you're going to put Bradbury so much on Dallas Goddard. I would think you'd use Bradbury for some of the wide receivers who are a little bit more quicker in terms of what Philadelphia has to offer. so We saw you know, Julian Love on the tight end a lot last, correct, last week. Exactly, so maybe we'll yeah. see him on Goddard. Well, and, and Love was involved in that play that I was referring to where Gronk was able to haul it in from 35 yards out. So, yeah, Love probably will see some work again against the tight ends, and I would think that they would utilize Adoree and Bradbury to handle the wide receivers. All right, thanks. You're welcome. Hi, John. Appreciate the call. But I, I do think he brought up then the, the, the quarterbacks on the defense. Um, we talked about Blake Martinez already, and then I should give the injury update here. Logan Ryan still has not cleared COVID protocol. Joe Judge said today that there's a chance he still could. That would require two consecutive positive tests in the next two days, <laughs> 24 hours apart. So is it possible? Yes. I don't think you can count on that. Positives or but, negatives? John, no practice, though, keep in mind. Oh, I correct. Mean, yes. And you know, he, even he if he practiced. is activated, correct. let's say. Yes. Yeah. But I think you have to prepare without him, for one. Uh, then number two, no Tony or Shepard at practice today based on media reports. And Joe Judge even said at his press conference say that those guys would be with the trainers today. So, look, there's a chance, you know, maybe one or both of those guys figure it out. They both have quads. But usually if you get no practice all week, the chance of you playing on Sunday is probably pretty slim. So the Giants yeah. will probably be without those two guys, which, by the way, in a game where we're talking about, a team that will let you catch and complete the underneath stuff. Who are your two best underneath targets on this team? Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard. That's a problem. Plus yak yardage too for the oh, two yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that is an issue. I see some call ups coming. <laughs> don't you think? I mean, who, where, where are the other receivers? We gotta have to. I mean, listen. If, if those two guys don't play, um, you got Colin Johnson. I mean, he's. <laughs> we always think of these slot receivers as being so small, right? But yeah. That, that he's a big boy. Um, so we'll see what happens Let, there. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. I didn't mean to no, there. I'm just saying we, we're I'm trying to figure out, you know, who's going to take, who's going to, if those two guys don't play, who moves into the slot position? It's mm, a good question. I mean, yeah. do you put John Ross there? I would say Ross would be a candidate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mean, rule that out. Um, yeah, I guess Ross can go there. I mean, if you want to go with, like, the bigger model, you know, you remember how, like, um, the, the Eagles always used to put, oh, I can't remember the name of the guy. They had that quintessential slot guy who was a big possession receiver, and he was a good blocker. I don't remember his name. So if you want to do that, you could put, like, Sills in there if you want. 
Um, but yeah, look, I, I think it's I think that's interesting, and I think you know how the D plays without Logan Ryan too. Because now you're missing Blake Martinez and Logan Ryan. I mean, I think before the year, both of us would have said those are the two main leaders on the defense, right? It's a problem. What about Farrell Cooper? Would he get some reps at that position? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, they've used him mainly as a special teamer, but he certainly has wide receiver experience. And he's on the roster previous stops. 53 sure. man, so. Yeah. Um, but I would think John Ross. I like your thinking there, Jeff. I think Ross would probably yeah. be the first guy up, just based on his familiarity with the offense and his sure. usage and his yeah, versatility. And No, but I think, John, were you the one that said earlier, or it was Jeff? I'm sorry. I don't know which one about the goal in this game is to get the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Yeah, Jeff said that. Okay, Jeff, you said that. So um, my thinking based on what you were saying is Ross is a playmaker. Mm -hmm. And remember, they ran a play where he was a runner on Monday night. So I would think you'd want to try to give him some opportunities, especially if we're talking about Philadelphia is going to allow you to have the underneath opportunities. Get the ball in Ross's hands and see if he can pick up some yak yardage. I think, to me, that would make a lot of sense. It's very unfortunate that Kadarius is out. He he may be out of the game because I feel like, just as last week, how it just goes to show you that the offensive game plan was because of the coverage that these guys play is to get the ball in in somebody like Kadarius Toney's hands because – he can make plays that, you know, so, I mean, what do you have, 12 targets? Is that what you guys said last yeah, week? 12. So, yep. I mean, I would definitely see that happening again this week if he was healthy and he's going to play. But if he's not, then I think you got to have to spread the wealth a little bit. But, you know, speed kills, right, guys? I mean, and John Ross is one fast guy. Yep. So get the ball in his hands and let him do some stuff. And, and maybe maybe the, uh, Saquon gets the ball a little bit more from the receiving position too, and you know, because he's another guy that can make sure. plays out there. So. All right, 201-939-4513. Let's go to Nick in Pennsylvania. He's up next. Hey, Nick. Hi, Nick. Sam Beal, thoughts? Huh? Sam Beal? Is that who he brought up? Sam Beal's gone. Sam Beal's gone. He's no longer on the roster. Nick? Hello, Nick. Tremendous. Phone call. Yeah, that is. Tremendous is right. Good job, Nick. (laughs) Call us back. Classic. Somebody uh, drank a little bit too much of Grandpa's old cough medicine or, last night. Or maybe that was the end of, a, end of the sentence or something. We missed the first part of it. I don't well, know. I did make out Sam Beal, but listen. <laughs> dots I thought free. I heard, too. Dots <laughs> I thought I heard. <laughs> Sam Beal dots. That's what I heard. I'm Sam not sure Beal what that dots. Means, okay. but... All right. Well, you know, listen. Speak to Sam Beal's people and get back to us and let us know. Oh, he, oh so Taylor thought he said Sam Beal thoughts. Yeah, well, meaning meaning your reaction to Sam Beal, my guess is, well, right? I mean, that's how I interpret it. I don't it. really t- – no. I frankly don't take a lot of time thinking about Sam Beal. <laughs> well, quite well as I said, he's not on the roster anymore. I mean, what is there to work. think about? It didn't work. <laughs> at this point. That's the yeah. thoughts. It didn't work. Yeah. yeah. They gave him enough cho- – they gave him definitely enough chances, guys, over mm-hmm. the years. I mean, that, it just didn't work out. Yeah, so. he was struck by the injury bug early in his career, and then when he did get opportunities out on the field, by that time they brought in a number of other defensive backs who passed him on the depth chart. For a reason. I mean, that's pretty much the best way to describe Sam Beal's tenure with the Giants. Yeah, and then he opted out last year. Yeah, so, sure. Maybe. That also hurt his chances. Yeah. All right, Angelo in Dallas, he's up next. Hey, Ange, what's going on? Yeah. Hey, what's going on, fellas? That was pretty good on the um, Anybody else you'd like yeah, us to weigh in on that's no longer on the roster, Angela? <laughs> no, not no? at all. No? Okay. That's a shame. <laughs> no, Disappointed, not, but we'll not, try to manage. Not yes. at all. A um, couple of questions for y'all. Um, I'm a conservative cause. I know that there was some critique uh, a while back. I'm not sure if it was on the OC or the coach, but my question is how much weight do y'all put on the conservative cause being made? I know that what I've heard that, you know, if the coach sees a – let the OC know, hey, we're in fourth down territory here. Get your playbook ready for for that possibility. But when it comes to that fourth down call, and, you know, I think it was in Washington, some other calls where there was some criticism about, okay, judge, judge being the one being criticized for the conservative call, but 
JC's uh, JG with OC. So where does that kind of lie? Well, the head coach decides whether or not you go for it on fourth down. That, that, that is a head coach decision. That is not an offensive coordinator decision. Right. But that conservativeness that's been kind of criticized about, hey, why are we doing this type of play versus that play, do you, is that more falling to OC? Yeah, I mean, the the play call itself, I think, probably has a lot more to do with the offensive coordinator than it does the head coach. You know, I think Joe Judge, you know, I think my understanding is, is how this works is that, you know, after the on Tuesday, right, that's like game plan day for the next opponent. So at right. the end of Tuesday, right. the coordinators will go. They'll go to Joe Judge, present it with their plan, and Joe Judge will say, all right, I like this. Focus on this. Oh, I don't like that. Rework that. And that's kind of how it works, right? But then when you get to right. game day and you get to individual play calls and things like that, that's much more in the hands of the coordinators. Right, Jeff? Well, you think that, that sounds right? Okay. 100%. And, you know, and, and, and Joe Judge has come out and said that. He's like, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't mingle in, this guy's, in these guys' business. I mean, I let them coach. They're coordinators for a reason. I've hired them to do what I want them to do, and I trust them. Now, does that mean that they, he doesn't have any input in the game plan? That, no, he does have inputs. He's told us that many times. But on game day, it's, it's really up to the discretion of the offense and defensive coordinators and special teams coordinators to, to – Get on the headset and say, hey, you know what? You want to go for it here. Yeah, go for it. That kind of thing. Now, you know? could so, you see, Jeff, where, like, could you see Judge saying, all right, well, I want you to, if it's a fourth and one, could you see Judge saying, all right, I want to run it here or say I want to play action here and then let the coordinator go from there? Could you see that? I, I, I do, but I, I also believe sometimes it's a collaboration. I don't know if it's so much like, hey, Jason, you'll go for it here, you know? And Jason might say, mm-hmm. hey, God, hey, Joe, and there's a little bit of a conversation there. Of course, there, yeah, yeah, sure, you know, sure, sure. But, um, I think in, in distinct situations, there has to be a command, a chain of command, and I think it certainly falls on the head coach to say yes or no if we're going to do this or not. Now, Lance and I talked about this, um, just some situational football that comes up. Um, for instance, like when we had the incident where the play was not in the call, there was 10 seconds. They that was got, the they, fourth they, and they, one, Jeff. Well, yeah. Fourth and one play. Yeah, on the game okay, clock. So to me, and I don't know what happened that transpired there. I'm just giving you some just – what I've mm-hmm. seen in the past is that there's usually either two calls played in a huddle before that, or there's definitely something's been said that this is four down territory guys get the play ready, you know? So those kind of things come into, and maybe there is some discussion back and forth that delays that type of situation. So you think maybe almost too much collaboration. Is That's what what, exactly me. what I'm saying. Yeah. So there has to be mm-hmm. something where somebody's going to have to just take the bull by the horns and say, Hey, let's go get the, we got to get the play and the clock is running because you know, I remember this and I know all three, all three of us remember this, but how many times when Eli was playing that did Eli get to the line of scrimmage when there was like seven to 10 seconds left on the clock? You know, it's just a matter of getting that play into the into the huddle, called it at the line of scrimmage. These quarterbacks are so good, guys, that give them an opportunity. Give them 20 seconds in front of the, the defense. They're going to be able to get you in and out of things to be able to help the play that's called or get out of that play that was called and into another one. But with 10 seconds to break the huddle and get to the line, you got no chance. Yeah, you None. can't make adjustments at the line no. under those circumstances. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question. Thing. Go ahead, Angela. So it does. You have that same line of thinking when it comes to personnel. I mean, there's some criticism about, you know, having Kadarius Tony and some of your best playmakers on the sideline. I know some of them call their own subs. They're not allowed to tired or feel injured. They may call their own sub if they're allowed to do so. But when it comes to personnel, I'm sure there's more grumblings outside of this first week, this last week, where players maybe were not getting enough touches and whatnot. And how about personnel? Is I believe some of the personnel, Angelo, and Jeff, please correct me if I'm wrong, I think don't the position coaches – Absolutely. Um, so, handle a lot of that. Yeah, because when there's a when there's a play call, all the all the coordinator and all the position coaches have the play. 
So they know the personnel, and it's, you know, you've got, you know, you're going to go 11, you know, 21, whatever. They know that type of personnel. So the coach, the position coaches are saying, go in, come out, go in, come out, whatever it is, you know. So, but I, I, I mean, to the point where there are some guys that maybe they might have got nicked up on the play before where they were supposed to be in on that, on that play, so they got to get another guy in there. So, or they're winded, and they told the or coach, they're winded, exactly, I, I just a ran a nine right. route, yeah, yeah. and now that, you know, so – um, and I know that there was a lot of discussion why two of your best playmakers were off the field on that fourth and one play, but it's just circumstantial, right? And I mean, by the way, Angel, it's funny. I, I said this on a show earlier in the week, and Jeff, I went and Lance, I weren't on with you. I'm curious what your take is on this. And Jeff, I'm not sure if it's me or you or me and Lance that had this conversation offline. And we always joke that whenever you saw Colin Johnson on the field, you're assuming it's going to be a run play. I'm not sure who it was, but I was joking with somebody about that. So I almost think, I said this on the show with Howard on Wednesday, I wonder if they decided to run that with Johnson on the field, because all the tendencies they've shown this year would indicate they were going to run it because Colin Johnson was the only receiver on the field and they ran play action and they thought they could catch the Bucks, you know, over committing to the run to get an easy game. There. It's obviously, certainly, obviously it didn't work out, but yeah. I, I wonder if that was no, one of the I, things going I through think their the minds. Thinking, the thinking is, is correct because this game is so much designed by tendencies, right, and, and, and film study. That's why the, the good ones study. They understand, like, exactly what you just said, John. Oh, my God, Colin Johnson is in on this play. Well, we know from our study that when he's in there, they run the ball 85% of the time, so right. this is going to be a run. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. I think there's some credence to that. And as far and as the position that. coaches, I mean, they're the ones that normally, from my understanding, keep track of the snap counts for all of their players. Correct. So that's yeah. another reason why they would have at least some responsibility in shuffling the personnel in and out. I mean, even I, there were instances where Leonard Williams would need a breather. And when we've heard from the position coaches, you know, talk about Leonard sometimes needs a player two off. So it's always the position coaches that usually are the traffic coordinators traffic in terms of making yeah. sure the right personnel yeah. is in it. Yeah, out. I guess, Angel, yeah. my point is that Jason Garrett doesn't call a play and say, get Tony and Galladay off the field yep. for this. That's generally not right. how this works. And my last question um, is in regards to, and of course, never advocate for someone losing their job. Um, and I think that it's just important for you know different play callers to put themselves in the put the players in the position to succeed. Understanding that I think you alluded to this Wednesday, John, in that players do have to execute. They have to catch a ball if it hits the hands. Those type of things. And also we have a weak line. You have to roll roll the um, move the pocket out. But I also do believe that you do put your players in the best position. If you see that someone can't do zone right or can't bash block right, then you do something that was That's contrary true. to that Absolutely. To, help, to help them out. For sure. And that also comes to play calling or when you call the play. I know that every play can't help this or move that, but the timing of the play, the play that's called, the quarter, the position, the momentum, I think all that makes a difference. And if that's not utilizing, if you can't find a play that gets Kenny Galladay open or KT open, to me that does that that does fall on those feet to be able to put your players in position, calling at the right time, giving your quarterback the, the, the two plays to call or to cancel at that time to put in position to succeed. Like Joe just said, tell me what they can do and work to that. And I know it's with the with the injury stuff it's hard to be consistent in doing so, but that's what you're hired to do 
is to overcome those obstacles when you have injuries that every team has, when you have a line that can't do this or a guard that, you know, is likes to hold. Okay, what are we doing to offset that or help that particular player do it? But you have to be consistent in doing that, and right now we haven't seen it. No, Angel Logan, so I, that's it's fair. Unfortunate, but I think it's just you know something that just had to take place with uh, with Jason Garrett, which I like. He didn't have the offensive line, and he alluded to that in his, his in his meeting last week, how he how he uh, not admired or saw that with the Cowboys for the last ten years. They're either their structure, their evaluation, or whatever it was has helped the Cowboys be successful, which has in turn helped Dak be successful. Because people forget when he was drafted, but at the same time he walked in. To having a number one back, he walked in to having a good offensive line. So you can learn and kind of um, expedite your learning curve when you have yeah. things in front of you and around You're you right about that. and make you a better quarterback. Angel, so no, yeah. Angelo, all that's fair. I think you make good points, and I think the way you describe that is exactly how Joe Judge would describe his reasoning for making a move. I, I think that's fair. But I will say this, I think you're limited in what you can do to help certain players if you're trying to cover for other players. You know, you can't do everything on the same play. You have to, you know, pick your poison in a lot of ways. And that's that, all right, well, do I want to try to maximize my chance to get open here or do I want to maximize my protection up front? It's hard to do both of those on the same play. So those are the tough choices that offensive coordinators have to make. The other thing that offensive coordinators have to do, and no matter who you are, there's 32 of them, you've got to be able to make adjustments as the game goes on because, you know, you have 15 plays. You know, a lot of teams do the first 15. They go over them the night before the game so they know them like the back of their hand. After those 15 plays are called, the game flow, as you mentioned, John, makes a difference. You have to understand how to make adjustments coming in, out of halftime, maybe coming out of a quarter. You're seeing with it. You studied this all week, and they're not going to do that. I mean, the Eagles are probably saying the same thing right now. They don't know how they're going to have to prepare for this game this week because they don't know who's going to be calling plays and tendencies that it was. Most likely they're going to run a lot of the same plays as they have, but you know they have a little bit of an unknown there, but they're going to have to adjust to it as the game goes by. So and that's a, a, a it's it's really uh you know some of these guys have they're really good at in-game in-game adjustments and we hear that all the time whether it's offense or defense, but And yeah, it, by the way, I do feel like their first drives have actually been pretty good this year the Giants. They maybe haven't gotten touchdowns, but they usually have sustained yeah. Pretty good drives on their first possessions. Yeah. Lance and I were talking about this. They should maybe do the, the scripted the first plays, 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because cause it was play number 16 that it all went downhill. Remember the Tampa Bay Buccaneers no, on No, we literally counted it. It was play really? 16. Oh, yes. I was having the conversation with Jeff off the air. It was play 16 where all of a sudden the turning point of the game occurred. So if you want to say you script the first 15, 16's got to improve. Lance from that started standpoint. cracking yeah. up when we were t- I told uh, him about it. And he's like, well, look at play 16. It's the, what happened? I just all of a sudden it went downhill from play 16. <laughs> You had a point, Lance? Go ahead. No, in in all seriousness, what I was going to say is, and and this was a little bit of what I think what you were getting to, John, that you you have to pick what adjustment you want to make. For example, I thought their game plan against the Raiders was solid, and it worked effectively. Now, if you go back to that game, they really did not feature their playmakers in that game. Guys? And the football. Right? I mean, Kenny Galladay had three targets. Evan Ingram had three targets. Kadarius Toney had one target in that game. Well, Daniel Jones threw it 20 times. Correct. Well, but that's that's my point. My point is... If, if the last caller's point, and I'm not just picking on the last caller, most people are looking at targets, and you got to get your playmakers the football. But sometimes, based on what the defense presents, that may not be the ideal game plan. It may not make sense to press the envelope. It may make sense, because of Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby's presence, to run the ball, slow those guys down, wear them down. Yeah, Lance, for example, would you rather have a game where you play like you did against the Raiders, you throw it 10 times, and you run the ball, and you win? 
Or would you rather have a game where you throw it 35 times, Galladay gets nine targets, but Jones gets sacked four more times, gets strip sacked twice, and throws an interception? You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course. Well, that's about the the Eagles. (laughs) That's what the Eagles do. They just run the football the last four games. That's all they got to do. And it may not be pretty. I think, you know, the problem is today, and I'm not generalizing and saying all fans are guilty of this, but I think a lot of us are tied into the whole fantasy element in football and because we're synonymous with associating great players with monster stats, that when you don't see the monster stats, you assume that just the offense can't operate. And granted, listen, I'm not defending the Giants' offense. They have room for improvement. There's no doubt about it based on the numbers. No but question. what I'm saying is, is that there were certain games with Jason Garrett at the controls where I think he said to himself in conjunction with the coaching staff, we may be able to win this game. It just won't be pretty. And I think they showed that. The Seattle game, guys, last year comes to mind when they had Colt McCoy as the quarterback. I think that was a very good adjustment game in terms of game plan and execution, of course. And then the Raiders game this season, I think, is another good example of that. Mm -hmm. The problem is we're not looking at a high volume of that happening. And that's why, of course, Joe Judge went in the direction of making a change. All right, we got one more call before we say goodbye. Vermeer in Pennsylvania. Taylor, Vermeer, what's going on? Yes, how you doing? Good good afternoon, guys. Hey, thanks uh, for calling in, man. What's up? You too. Yeah, happy holidays to you guys too. Um, I was, well, Monday I was a little, little upset, couldn't wait to, you know, get the call in, you know what I mean? And then they had the news where they let Jason Garrett go. So now I mean, my, my holiday went a little, little bit good because of my, my argument is we have too many skilled players not to be producing, you know what I mean? Like we're, no, but you're right. But keep in mind, most of those guys were hurt for a good part of the year too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. But but when they're on the field, we're on the field. Like when it's like a fourth and one, if we're not going to run the ball, if we're going to throw the ball, spread the defense out. You know what I'm saying? Don't 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 try to do misdirection plays. Don't try to do. Don't try to go out your means to do certain things that we don't do. I mean, but you know in, in fairness, though, on, on third and one or fourth and one, I don't mind a go jumbo play action pass. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you're the other team's going to expect you're going to run the ball. And you play action, and that could open up a very easy completion. Now, it didn't happen to work on that play, and that's fair. But we've but, seen it but, work. But generally, exactly. Generally speaking, I don't think that's necessarily a bad strategy is my point. Yeah. And another thing, you know, is, is rivalry week, and, you know, we're about, we, we, we about to honor another great giant. Can we come out and play? And Can, can we, like, come out and really, like, stick it to the Eagles? Because it's like we're, we're sticking it to them, and then it's like the last – Four minutes of the game, we act like we don't know what to do, and then we lose the game. Because it's been like that the last couple games we played the Philadelphia Eagles. They ain't just coming out rolling over us. We've been in the game, but then it's like we have a little brain contusion where we don't know what we're doing, and we lose the game. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's also been a lot of lopsided affairs in this series, too, in fairness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you remember, Boston yeah, Scott had three touchdowns not too long ago at MetLife Stadium. Mm-hmm. That game was not yeah, pretty. I remember that. Yeah. No, nah, it was not. <laughs> You're right about that. It really was not. It really was not. And I was saying, like, as far as, like, with the defense and everything, the defense has been playing real good. But if we're playing against Tom Brady, we know we got to get Tom Brady off the spot. So if we can't. Everybody say you can't blitz him. You can. You just you got to disguise it. You can't just sit there and have a corner sitting there and a linebacker and showing blitz, and he's thinking that you got to disguise You got to mix it up. You know what I'm saying? That game was – I think that we could have won it because – they didn't really play a great game. We just didn't come out to play, and we should we should have been ready to play after a bye. Vermeer, like, we should have been ready to Vermeer, play. in fairness, if Tampa Bay wanted to score 
45 points in that game, they could have. No, nah, they could have. Yeah, how the game was going, it did look like like they could have. They didn't right. need to score anymore. They just slowed it down. Right. That's, yeah. Exactly. They could have won 17-10, actually. I Thank mean, you, Vimeo. We got to run. Yeah. Appreciate the call, dude. Good stuff. Hey, yeah. listen, you know, the, the Giants, they, they played the last two games at home they've won. So continue that for the fans coming here. Would love to get, like he said, let a good game out of the Giants. They're, they're retiring Eli, or excuse me, in uh, Strahan's jersey. I mean, come out and, and play for that. I mean, that's, that's you're honoring a guy that's an all-time great. You know, and let's, let's go out with the win at home. Make it three in a row. It'd be great. Okay, well, one more thing before we say goodbye, guys, and I know Tara's got to go. I got to go too. But very quickly, because we've had a couple calls about it, I don't think you guys have been on since the move, and I'll give my opinion last. Just your thoughts on what type of differences and changes we might see with a new play caller versus what we saw with Jason Garrett. Jeff, why don't you go uh, first? Okay, and I said a little bit earlier, I, I, you can't just change the offense. It's just not fair to anybody. So, And you're not going to have any continuity whatsoever. You're going to have a lot of confusion. So you got to keep the same things that are going on. What I'm going to see from – I'm just just say that's Freddie, okay? That's the logical um, choice that's going to happen, and it, whether it is or not, but I'm going to go with this philosophy. There's so many different types of plays you can run with different formations. So that's what I'm going to see happen. The play will be the same, but they're going to be out of different formations. And I think that Freddie Kitchens, if he is calling these plays, I think he's going to have a more of an aggressive uh, play calling attitude, if you will. What do you mean by aggressive? Getting the ball down the field a little bit further. Now, with play design. Okay, because we all know that the reason why this doesn't happen in the past is because Daniel Jones hasn't had the affordability of having time to throw it down the field. Okay, but I think there's some plays to be made. Okay, now obviously you're missing some of your players, but that's my philosophy. I think that's what you'll see, John. Lance? I think that makes sense, Jeff. Once again, that's all going to be determined based on can the Giants' offensive line handle the Eagles' front. You could go in, right, wanting to be a little bit more aggressive. Does it execute that way based on how the offensive line handles itself? But I don't think there's going to be that much of a drastic change. Remember, we're not even talking about a full week. They had a Monday night game, right. then they broke down the tape Tuesday, and then all of a sudden you flip the switch on Wednesday when you learn that now you got a new guy at the controls. So, you know, how much heavy lifting can be done in such a short period of time? And also, I know that it was one sample size of a game, and he didn't have Daniel Jones as his quarterback because Colt McCoy, if you recall, started against the Browns last year. This is when Freddie Kitchens filled in for Garrett mm-hmm. when Garrett was out due to COVID. And, you know, they had a balanced attack in that game. McCoy threw about 30 times. They ran just over 20 times, and fortunately, they only scored six. I understand you didn't have Saquon, you didn't have Kenny Gallaudet. The personnel was different. I'm well aware of that. But my point is, from watching that game, I don't remember a bunch of tricks up the sleeve of everybody. The only thing I remember, guys, if you recall from that game, remember when Riley Dixon tried to attempt to pass in that game? Do you (laughs) remember that? No, that was the one trick that was like, oh, okay. Now, it didn't effectively work, but that was it. They were in the red zone. They were looking to fake the field goal, do something original, and catch them off guard. Outside of that, I didn't think there was anything out of the ordinary, so I'm pretty much thinking it's going to be something in line with that. With, to Jeff's point, maybe you try to take some more chances down the field. All right, a couple things from me. I talked to our buddy Lance that works out in Cleveland and covered Freddie out there. He said he does like doing a lot of trick plays and stuff, but here's the thing. I think we've already seen that as part of the offense. Every week we've seen a Kadarius Tony option pass. 
Yeah, and for he's two probably straight. got a little input in that, too. Sure. Oh, of course yeah. he does. Because he's a sure. senior offensive assistant. Yeah, he's not exactly. just standing on the sideline yeah. every week. Yeah. I think we've already seen yeah. a lot of Freddie Kitchens' influence in this offense, to be honest with you. And again, we don't know if he's going to be the guy calling the plays either. Joe Judge has not made that announcement. I just should be clear about that. Sure. Um, number two, um, I just I think what you're going to see here is stuff on the margins. I think... You know, maybe you use personnel groupings a little bit differently. Like you use a little bit more 12 or a little bit more 11, depending on what he prefers. I think you could see situational play calling change a little bit, and that probably could have the biggest impact, right? Like what do you call in the red zone? What do you call on third downs, right? That's something that could be a little bit different than maybe you saw after Jason Garrett. Things he could change, I don't know if he will. You could change pace. Right, how fast you're playing? Do you play more no huddle? Do you play slower? Do you play less no huddle? So that's another thing you can change if you want. Um, you can't change the playbook, so I don't think you're going to see all this pre-snap motion. You're not going to see all these bunch formations because I just not sure that was there yet. So I'm not sure you can get all that in to Lance's point in literally like four and a half days, which is basically what it is since they, you know, since the players came in on Wednesday to you know get that switched up. So. For me, I, I agree with you guys. I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. And to Jeff's point, you know, I said it earlier in the show, I think Freddie Kitchens, or, or again, I think the Giants in general, and Jason Garrett has said this too, by the way, you want to take more shots downfield. I'm just not sure against an Eagles front with a well, defense that plays very yeah. conservative and it's doesn't hard. allow big plays, that's going to be possible this week just because of the opponent. So just things to keep in mind as, as you get ready for Giants and Eagles on Sunday. Guys, good times, a lot of fun. Thank Absolutely. you, John. Thank you, Lance. Yep. And, you of course, it. if you guys enjoy this, you can check us out on Bud Light Giants game day at 1130 on WFN on Sunday morning as we get ready for Giants and Eagles. For Jeff Eagles and Lance Menno, I am John Schmuck. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hope everybody has a great holiday weekend. We'll see you then.